Good morning. This is James with 77 Financial Group. You're listening to 15 Minutes of Finance, where in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to get you excited about investing. Let's do it. All right, all right, all right. We're back at it again, guys. We have another positive day in the stock market, at least at the beginning here. Uh, before we get into the news, let's do the term of the day. We are doing green investing. Uh, green investing is the term. I assume you guys can probably put two and two together, uh, but let me read the definition here. Green investing seeks to support business practices that have a favorable impact on natural environment, often grouped together with socially responsible investing, environmental, social, and governments investing, ESG. Uh, green investments focus on companies or projects committed to the conservation of natural resources, pollution reduction, or other environmentally conscious business practices. Green investments may fit under the umbrella of SRI, socially responsible investing, but they are more specific. Okay, so socially responsible investing is also like um, a lot of religious institutions. Like, so if I manage a 403B, which is a nonprofit 401k, for you guys who don't know that term, um, or that investment vehicle, the, uh, a church, for example, might be like, hey, you can only do SRI investments. You can only, like, so they would say no, no, like, S&P 500 mutual fund. So I couldn't just do a typical investment in the S&P because there are uh, unsociably respond. I guess they are, there's things in those investments like pornography, alcohol, um, gun trafficking, child trafficking, uh, etc., cetera, uh, that the church might not want to contribute money to. So that would be an SRI. So green investing is just, it's really simple, right? It's just, uh, investing in things that aren't pollution oriented and that are more efficient energy wise for the earth. Okay. Let's get into the news now that we've done that. So let's see. Um, where are we? Okay, what is happening in the news today? U.S. stocks are looking to a second day of gains. Stock futures are on the rise in the wake of yesterday's Fed policy announcements and despite ongoing concerns over Chinese property giant Evergrande. Now, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Remember, Evergrande can't be, they can't pay their bills. Um, okay, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index rebounded more than 1%, with shares of Evergrande jumping nearly 20%. Investors are still waiting to find out whether the company will pay its $83 million in interest on a dollar-denominated bond due today. The Chinese government is asking local officials to prepare for the fallout of the possible downfall of the debt-laden developer. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, stock index futures came off their highest, uh, their highest following the news. Uh, later this morning, the conference board will release its leading economic index for August, which is expected to rise from July. The 10-year Treasury note held steady while oil, oil prices moved lower this morning. The U.S. Department of Labor released weekly jobless claims this morning. This is sad, guys. Uh, showing that initial claims rose by 351,000 above expectations of 320,000 for the week ended September 18th. Uh, look, I don't really know what to say about that. I don't understand the job situation. From my research, there are more than enough jobs, more than enough high-paying, good-paying jobs. So uh, one of my favorite restaurants is er, restaurants. I gotta be, I gotta relax with that term. Fast food restaurants is uh, Chick Fil A, and I was reading a sign. I think they're paying like sixteen twenty-five or sixteen fifty an hour with benefits uh, and PTO. So there's companies that are big out there that are pretty, I, I'm, I don't want to say easy to get a job with, but you're not, you know, you're not applying at NASA by any means. Uh, and they pay decently. I mean, 1625, you can really work with that. 
Um, yeah, so I, I I don't know what's up with the jobless claims. I hope that that changes. Uh, and that's that's I guess that's the big thing too, right? Is there's a difference between a job and a career. And you can work at Chick-fil-A and have a career. There's no doubt about that. And, and which we've spoken about this before, a light bulb just came on my head. You can work at Chick-fil-A and become a millionaire. Absolutely anybody can work. You can work at um, Goodwill. You can work at McDonald's. There's any any place that you might consider a lowly job, you can still become a millionaire at. So uh, I hope that the jobless claims, jobless claims situation changes soon. All right, let's look at some of today's headlines. Uh, Chinese financial giant Ant Group will share its consumer credit data with China's central bank. As part of a regulatory overhaul, Chinese regulators had ordered a restructuring of Ant after the company's huge stock market listing in November was suspended. So I'm pretty sure Ant Group is trying to be disassociated with the Chinese government. Uh, They don't want China to be, the government to be as involved in their company. But we know how China goes. If you do business in China... China's going to have a microscope under everything you do. Uh, Let's see. Impossible Foods is getting into fake pork. The only reason I bring that up is because Impossible Foods is pretty popular as a food brand company. And fake pork just, uh, it's interesting. It, it's there's definitely a market for it. I will say that. So and look, we're we have no political leanings or any sort of emotions here at 77 or at 15 minutes of finance. We're all about making and saving people money. So if there's a market for fake pork, I'm excited about it. OK, um, let's see what else is next. Here we go. Nike is expected to post a rise on first quarter sales and profit when it reports later today. However, all eyes will be on the company's outlook for the rest of the year, even though Christmas is coming up, which is a big time of the year for Nike. Analysts expecting analysts are expecting factory closures in Vietnam to have a major impact on the footwear supplies. Interesting. Uh, and Facebook's longtime chief technology officer will step down after 13 years on the job. So I think that's a big deal just because Facebook is at least the higher ups. It was a little bit of a uh, of a club. The people that started at Facebook, a lot of the people that are, are higher ups, that are board members, or they're the three three uh, letter names: CEO, CFO, COO. Uh, they are they've been there for a long time, so that's uh, that's another long tenured individual leaving. All right, let's talk about the big story today. The White House is putting the global chip shortage in focus. Now we've talked about chip shortages before, and how I told you that when there's low supply, right, but still high demand. Prices go up, which means stock prices go up. Okay, so that is it's not necessarily good for the overall growth of the world, but it's a potential area for stocks to rise in price. Okay, so representatives from Intel, Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, GM, and Ford attend a virtual house meeting later today. White House officials say they are looking for information on supply bottlenecks caused by chip shortages and hope to identify ways the government can help. The ongoing chip shortage is expected to cost car companies over $200 billion in lost revenue this year. That's that's a lot of money. Uh, the firm is now forecasting that the production of 7.7 million vehicles will be lost, nearly double the previous estimates. The Biden administration is pushing Congress to offer funding for legislation known as Chips for America Act, aiming at encouraging investment in domestic semiconductor production. So far, the Senate has approved $52 billion in June, but the House representatives hasn't taken action on that measure. The administration is also ratcheting up what it calls an early alert system to ease semiconductor plant shutdowns caused by spread of the pandemic. 
U.S. diplomats will be asked to work with governments in Southeast Asia to keep factories running. Okay, so we've talked mostly about chip shortages because of my favorite company, NEO, uh, who is floating very low on their stock price right now. I'm not looking forward to money in the mirror where I have to talk about NEO losing more money. Um, it's not a lot of money. It's maybe 3 or $4, but that's still... I, I still believe in NEO no matter what happens. But guys, the chips, okay, the chips. There are things that go into chips, lithium, copper, um, other commodities that I don't even know, <laughs> other precious metals. But those metals are, we, we're having a hard time mining them. And so creating those chips is becoming more difficult. And there's a lot of chip companies in Taiwan that we work with. So Taiwan in the US, it's not quite like South Korea in the US as far as our relations, but Taiwan has a lot of precious metals. And so our working relationship with them and our and our diplomatic relationship, but mainly our working one is extremely efficient and extremely strong. So I don't know how I feel about Biden initiating more of a domestic chip situation. I think it's obviously it's good, just like with the oil situation with the previous uh cabinet uh, where he the president was like I want oil to be created here I don't want to depend upon Russia or Saudi Arabia or anybody I liked that I thought that was good and it wasn't necessarily going to harm Exxon or uh, BP or a lot of these companies that US the US uh, citizens invest in but with the chip situation we rely heavily on Taiwan and so the companies that are based there I don't know if they're going to leave and they're going to come here to the US I don't know I don't know how I feel about it, uh, but I do know that chip making companies or companies that mine lithium or copper, those are some solid, definitely watch stocks. You definitely want to watch them, if not invest in them. Um, I know I'm invested in chip companies, lithium companies. I don't think I have any copper. Uh, definitely lithium, though. Uh, let's see. Okay, so here's the big number for the day. $15 trillion. The U.S. economy could plunge into a recession this fall if Congress fails to lift the nation's debt ceiling and the nation is unable to pay its obligations. <sighs> the report estimated that fall, the fallout could wipe out as many as 6 million jobs and, and erase $15 trillion in household wealth. Uh, yeah. Let me just keep going before I speak, I guess, here. It's depressing. Uh Congress faces a mid-October deadline to raise the maximum amount the U.S. is permitted to borrow to pay its debts. If it is not raised, the U.S. would not be able to pay interest on $1 trillion at RDOs and could default on the debt. Moody's Analytics chief economist Mark Zandi says the result be, could be an employment rate approaching 9%. Also, come November 1st, checks for millions of Social Security recipients would be delayed. Zandi predicts stocks would plunge by a third, hitting trillions of dollars in household wealth. Wow, that is terrifying. <laughs> let me let me keep reading this, though. Uh, we only got a little bit left here. Uh, Democrats have been pushing for a bipartisan approach to raising or suspending the debt ceiling, but Republicans have said they will not support an increase in government spending. Wall Street analysts still believe the risk of default is low, but rising each day that a debt ceiling does not get done. Okay, so... Uh, look, that was a really depressing way to end this. So let me just give you my opinion. If you guys remember a recession, we've talked about this previously, a recession is simply two quarters of negative GDP. Okay. A recession is economy based GDP, gross domestic product and a market or a bear market, which would be a negative market technically is when stocks fall for 20, 20% or more. 
So if a stock drops 20% in one day, that's considered a bear market. If the next day it rises back up, it's not a bear market anymore. So a recession is two quarters of negative GDP. That's a lot of assumption when people talk about recessions. And there is always doomsayers. Every single year, every single day, every single month, doesn't matter what it is, there's always someone saying there's going to be a recession, there's going to be a market crash. Now, I think the issue that we face is that both the House and the Senate do not like each other, and the Republicans and the Democrats do not like each other, and so a debt ceiling increase is good only because uh, it's going to help stimulate cash flow in everything. Now, a lot of people get caught up on the debt. Now, let me give you guys an example. I'm going to try and make this brief just so you can understand why debt is not bad. Uh, look, I love Dave Ramsey. If you guys listen to Dave Ramsey, I don't agree with Dave Ramsey. Um, he's a little bit of a doomsayer himself, I would say. Not negatively, but he is definitely leans more on the play it as safe as possible side. Um, but when, the reason debt, the U.S. debt isn't bad is because if you look at, say the U.S. is a person, okay? The person, uh, just like normal people, when they get to a certain age, they want to buy a house, okay? When you buy a house, you get a mortgage. You don't pay for it in cash. Okay, so you have debt when you buy a house. And sometimes your debt is hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you have a 30-year mortgage. Okay, when you're, if you look at the U.S. like a person... And that debt, like a mortgage, okay, then it's not really that big of a deal, right? Because you have a 400 million person country and a 21 million, 21 trillion, sorry, uh, debt. That is, although it's probably not one for one, it's pretty equivalent to a person having, you know, $400,000 in debt that they pay monthly for 30 years. You know, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And a lot of countries are in debt. There's almost no country that's not in debt. So, yeah, is this situation going to be, it's going to need to be monitored? And I hope that the left and the right, the Democrats the and the Republicans, I hope that they can come to an agreement on raising the debt ceiling. Listen, the, the, reason, the reason all that's important is because we have obligations to individuals. Okay, Social Security is an obligation. Uh, Medicaid is an obligation. And we have certain things that, as a country... Although it's not 100% capitalistic, there needs to be cash flow from the country to be able to pay certain things out. Um, and I'm just a big believer in keeping your promises. And so if the U.S. has to say, hey, we're not paying Social Security more, Social Security anymore because our mortgage is too big, a.k.a. the debt ceiling, then I think that there was an issue, um, there was an issue with the leadership because – you get to control your your mortgage as a country. You get to control your debt. As an individual, you really don't, right? It's whatever the bank tells you. So that's kind of what I would look at as the comparison between the U.S. and its debt versus um, like a person with a, with debt. And although it's not the same, it's pretty comparable. And it's extremely uh, frowned upon for a country to have debt, even though 90% of countries have debt. But it's not frowned upon for a person to have debt. So if you look at it on that grand scale, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, but if the seal, if the debt ceiling is not raised, then there probably will be some issues um, coming ahead for us. But we have to wait and see. We have to wait and see. You can't plan 
uh, for something that hasn't happened yet, and you can't assume. You guys know what happens when you assume. We all know what happens. Uh, Guys, I'm a minute over my time, so that's it for today. As always, invest early, invest often. We'll see you tomorrow.